Digital Marketer. Today, we've got Michael and Catherine Redmond, part two. Hello, and welcome to the Digital Marketer podcast. I'm your host, Jenna Snavely, and today is part two of our special two-part series with Michael and Catherine Redmond. It's all about how to be fulfilled with your passion and provision business. If you missed the last episode, you might not know what I'm talking about. So go on back and find it. You'll definitely want to listen to understand first what passion and provision means and also what the passion part is all about. And I promise it's about more than just liking what you do. So in today's episode, we dig into provision And these are going to be the practical aspects of your business, the financials, the operations side, all that really important stuff that a lot of people are probably scared to touch. We're also going to talk specifically about how these two parts, the passion and provision, really cannot exist without the other if you want to truly be fulfilled. Enjoy. So in in our last conversation, we kind of dug into passion and provision, what a passion and provision business is, and we really dug into passion specifically. Could y'all give a little recap of kind of everything that we talked about? (laughs) A recap of everything (laughs) we talked about. Wow. So I would probably recap it best this way. So we believe that you spend like 90% of your waking hours at work, it feels like some weeks, but probably at least 60%. And (laughs) and the reality is if you're going to spend 60% of your waking hours doing something, you want it to be something that fits who you are as a person, that has some passion to it, that that you can be invested in because it uses your skills and your gifts and your Mm -hmm. talents. So that's the passion piece of it. But the reality is if you're going to be spending 60% of your working hours, you also need to make money, right? And that's the provision piece of it. Our concept of building a passion and provision company is about building a company that's successful and fulfilling. And as an entrepreneur, the the challenges are great. 80 to 90% of businesses fail. 70 to 75% of adults in America are disengaged at work. It's hard to bring everything you have and be totally in and on. And it's hard enough to run a company. And there are some statistics that say the majority of businesses that fail, they don't go bankrupt. The people just get exhausted trying to tread water. And so you've got this thing where you start a company with a dream and you want to grow it and you want to provide financial freedom for you and your family. You want to provide time freedom. You want to try and figure out somehow you're going to work on what you love. And when you come at it with a passion provision model and you build a company around that, you're building a company that has all the financial pieces and order and structure so that you can have enough cash for today, enough money for today, and enough to grow the company over time. The passion part allows you to be fulfilling and have purpose and meaning in your work. And I was thinking this morning, it's much like having a bicycle that has bearings running around the axle with no grease. If that's the way most people treat work and that's the way most people treat starting a business and running a business. And so the grease is that part of the passion. The grease is having purpose and meaning and being able to use your gifts, talents, and skills. Mm. And then you get a little bit of grease with what you have and what you bring to the table. But as you grow as a leader, as you grow in your skills and your talents, as you learn and identify more of who you are and what your gifts are and become at least minimum competency in the things that 
are required to run a business because most leaders, they start because they have an entrepreneurial seizure, Michael Gerber <laughs> says, and they just go, hey, I can do this. Why and would I do this for someone else? I, I could do this for myself I know and how make to pour, all the money. I know how to pour <laughs> coffee. I know how to make a pot of coffee so I could be competitive to Starbucks. And you're like, uh, no, there's a little bit more that goes into it than making <laughs> yeah. a cup of coffee. And so passion and provision is this idea of how do you build a company that uses your gifts, talents, and skills, provides enough of the competency to build a healthy company, and to provide all those provisions that you need for today and tomorrow, and then allows you to use your gifts, talents, and skills and find fulfillment and purpose and meaning till you build into leaving a legacy. Mm. And if you get to do that for yourself, and we really focus on companies that are either have employees or are at some point going to want to grow a project that they can't do just by themselves, they're going to have some kind of team, whether it's a remote team, a contractor team, or employees in the office. You have to be a leader. You have to be organized. You have to be able to communicate. You have to understand the structure of business. And so passion and provision in our book, Fulfilled, is really about how to grow that, how to think about that in a holistic method and walk through it and to give you the best chance of beating the business failure rate. And when you do beat that business failure rate, the statistics say only 4% of businesses in America ever get to seven figures. Only 4% mm. make it to a million dollars or more. So how do you beat the odds of failure? How do you not just tread water, but how do you get up above and enjoy a beautiful sunny day on top of the water, floating along, <laughs> wind in your sails, and everything's working right? And then you have everything you need to thrive in the good times, but you're equipped and you're resilient to survive in the hard times. Yeah, that pretty much covers it. So let's get into provision. What do you need to provide? You know, it's interesting. When we talk about provision in the book, one of the things we did is we started with the story of, you know, a woman who is passionate about flowers, right? So she's like, I could absolutely create a business around flowers and flower arranging. And she's great at it. And people love her work. So she kind of checks all the boxes for passion. But the reality is, two years into the business, she still can't pay herself, mm. right? So making enough to buy the flowers and sell the flowers, but not enough to actually pay yourself is not a sustainable business. Yeah. And we run into that over and over and over again. We'll say to people, so tell us how you're doing in terms of profitability. Are you profitable? And they'll say, yes. And then we'll say, great. Are you paying yourself? And then they're like, well, not yet. Mm. And you're like, okay, well, so let's redefine profitable. <laughs> like it's not enough. I mean, there's going to be a period of time in any business when you're building and growing where maybe you can't pay yourself a paycheck. But ultimately, part of provision is actually making a living at what you're doing. And if you're in a position where you can't pay yourself or you're struggling to make payroll if you have employees, that becomes unsustainable and very challenging. And no matter how much passion you have, it will suck the life out of you because you're not able to provide in a meaningful way. Yeah. And one of the other stories that we use is for sailing, old sailing ships, old sailing vessels. Catherine's from England. You can't tell from her voice, but she's from England. And when you go home, right here, then. you know, you've got this, <laughs> totally good. You've got this country <laughs> that took over the world. It's a small little island in the middle of a cold sea with a bunch of short little people. 
<laughs> well, the majority of you are. Gentle love. And, <laughs> and yet you think about it, they took over the world. And on these sailing ships, they went everywhere. And then I love pirate movies, right? Every pirate movie is, you know, Jack <laughs> and all that kind of stuff. So when you think about those, a ship couldn't do what modern sailing could do now, where they have enough fuel and they have enough food and they have enough resources and provisions to go all the way across the Atlantic or something like that in one shot. In the old days, they had to go from port to port to port. So you did everything you could to make sure you had all the provisions you need. You needed fresh water. You needed food. If you're going to make the long journey, you might need citrus or something like that. So your crew doesn't get scurvy. Because <laughs> we hate the scurvy. <laughs> <laughs> and, <We> know. <laughs> and you you kind of plan out your trip. You plan out going to ports. And the reason you go to ports is so that you can restock your provisions. And if you think about it, the average person has paychecks that come once or twice a month. Those are like your stops for provision. Get more provision, you move on to the next two weeks. So that if you're a teacher, you move on to the next month. Well, if you're a captain, you're thinking, okay, I've got to stop. But what happens also, there's enough provisions just to make the jump, 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 jump to the trip. But what happens if a storm comes up? Or what happens if something happens and you get off course? Or you're on the wrong end of a pirate raid. <laughs> and you have to run. And literally, you have to run for your life. And so you've gone out or, or something. Those are those are things that are out of your control. And so you have enough provisions. You're thinking, okay, I'm going to just get, if I have enough water and food for the crew, we can get from port A to port B, and then we'll go from port B to port C. And when you do that, if any of these other things come up, you could be a day to a week out without fresh water or food. And then a mutiny starts to happen. Things don't go well. <laughs> and you're walking the plank. <laughs> and, this, and this provision of what do you need in a company if you're a business owner and you're going from payroll to payroll? I mean, one of the things that is a huge anti-sleeping agent for any business owner is the idea of having employees and having a payroll hmm. and making payroll. We had a, a friend of ours, they sold their company for roughly $70 million 20 yeah. years ago. They made it. Okay. Oh my gosh. Catherine used to work for them. They were wonderful people. They're one of our, they're some of our models in running Absolutely. a really passion provision company. And even after they retired and sold the company, we were at some party one night and we were talking to Judy and Judy, we just said, Judy, did you ever get to the place where you like, when did it, you stop stressing out 300 employees and everything else, all this? When did you stop stressing out about payroll? She said, yeah. never. Never. Like, oh. You know, and here's a woman <laughs> who doesn't cuss. And she's like, oh, she used a few expletives. Mm. And and the sweet older woman is like, oh, no, I never did it. It was always a challenge. It was always a struggle. Now, no. it wasn't because they weren't a vital, huge, growing company. Mm -hmm. But there's all that responsibility. And sometimes... Cash flow doesn't work and, and all this. So when we're talking about provision, we're talking about the mechanics of the business that create the resources you need for it actually to work. And what's really tricky is if you have an entrepreneurial seizure and you start a company, there's a good chance you were never trained on all the different major pieces and fundamentals of creating provision because you can be doing what you love the most. You can be having pick the topic that you think is the best. You would have fun all the time. There's nothing that's going to rob that joy faster than if you don't have enough money and you're stressing out all the time about, is this whole thing going to go down in a ball of flames? Mm. And, and especially if you, you know, like most entrepreneurs, you talk to your family into helping you a little bit. 
or you, you know, oh boy. You, oh boy. or your friends or whatever, and they believe in you. And, and then you're laying awake thinking, what are they going to think if this fails and I can't make this happen? And so we've just seen enough. We've been through enough. Like we, we have lived, we have lived passion without provision. <laughs> like when, when cash flow is really, really rough. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've lived provision without passion, which is part of what we talked about a little bit last week. Like when mm-hmm. we were growing like crazy, or maybe we didn't, I don't remember, but we were growing mm-hmm. like crazy. We grew 400% in the course of 18 months. And we had tons of cash, like cash in the bank. And I can remember thinking, I thought this would be, this would solve everything. I would be happy. I would be whatever. I hated coming to work. We were miserable because we had tons of cash, but we had hired poorly because we were moving too fast. We had clients that we didn't like. We, I didn't want to cross the threshold of work. So we would say passion without provision is unsustainable. Provision without passion is awful. They have to go together for you to have a fulfilling business, which, you know, title of the book is fulfilled, for you to have that thing that you want to keep going. You, you mm. are excited to come to work. You like who you work with and for. And, and it's because you've learned the fundamentals, right? You know, you know how to put systems in place. You know how to hire well. You understand how to manage your finances. I can't tell you, Jenna, how many small business owners we've come across who are scared to death of their finances. Like they, mm. they don't know how to read a report. They don't, they, they, basically will say, I don't even look at my books until tax time. And I'm like, how do you, how do you plan? And this is not just small companies. We have a client right now who just hired us in the last six months. They're super excited. They've grown to a point. They're kind of stuck and they're like, okay, we know we want to grow past this. We've got like 12 or 14 employees. It's great. We love our culture. They're actually really amazing. They're super squared away. Then all of a sudden, like in their third meeting with us, they make this comment. We just got a new uh, bookkeeper kind of accountant and we just met with them the other day and oh, oh, and all of a sudden you mm. found out that here's a successful company that has this great culture and they do all these fun things and they travel all these places and yet you find out all of a sudden they don't know a lot about their money. They realized they were doing a bunch of things wrong and they were putting themselves in some really bad situations mm. and all of a sudden it's not just the little guy or gal who is just a small little company. It's even the more we realize, the more we realize there are larger companies that are wrestling with all this and hiding it. And success can come when you're missing one of these pieces in your business. Hmm. Now, when we talk about provision that I should have said this earlier, there's two parts to provision. There's the provision for today and the provision for growth for tomorrow. So provision, a lot of times it gets painted the picture like we did in sailing or anything else. It's like, are we going to have enough to make it to the next port? Right. Mm-hmm. Are we going to have enough if there's an emergency or something like that? But one of the things that happens in growth is we experienced in another company an excessive amount of growth. So we started another company in the pet industry and it's a small, it's a small company, but it's now a seven figure company and it's about eight years old. And it still acts like an adolescent toddler. It's and, a toddler. And it, it, <laughs> it grew, has grew in the first couple of years at hyper growth rates. Well, if you want to try and fund a company to grow 
and you're going to grow faster than than your profit margin, you have to borrow the money from somewhere to buy more inventory, to buy more resources, especially if it's not an intellectual product, it's a physical product. Well, we experience the pain of that. Mm-hmm. So part of what you need is you need you need cash to meet the daily needs. You need money or resources or provisions to grow for the future because back to the sailing analogy, if all of a sudden what you're, th- you're seeing is, Hey, we we could make better time. There's a great wind, a great tailwind that we could catch and we could sail. If we catch it now, we could sail just past this next port and go to the next one. We can skip B and go to C. And what a great opportunity we could. There's all kinds of advantages to being ahead of schedule or there's a storm coming. And if we skip port B, we'll miss that whole thing. We won't even have to deal with it. So do you have those extra resources and provision? And when you're thinking about the business, you get to go, okay, there are some people who go, I'm just looking at the cash and only the cash. And I don't care about myself. I don't care if I enjoy the work. I'm willing to grind a hundred hours a week, everything else, not knowing that the cost that it's going to take, Mm -hmm. they're just ignoring, or they're either ignorant or ignoring the cost of burnout, the cost on their relationships, the cost on the rest of their life, on their own health. Mm -hmm. And so they they grind away or they just want to do what they enjoy and they don't understand the rest of the disciplines that need to be developed so that this thing has the ability to provide the freedom financially at some point and the freedom in time mm-hmm. and actually be something that gives you purpose and meaning and leaves a legacy. It's like most people try and separate all those and put them in different buckets. And this is what I do in the evenings. This is what I do on the weekends. This is what I do at work, whether I own a company or go to it. It's like, well, what if you could bring them all together? Maybe it's not a hundred percent. Maybe it's not just three circles perfectly overlapping, but maybe what if it's a tight, a tight Venn diagram that these, all these things overlap. And so nothing is sucking the life out of you. It's all life giving yeah. and profitable. Well, and it's, it's yeah. interesting, Jenna, cause we've met, I mean, we met somebody a couple months ago at a conference we were at who, you know, he basically told the story of, starting a company and just looking at his wife and going, baby, I just have to grind it for five years. If we just make some sacrifices. Just make some sacrifices, grind this thing for five years, and then we're going to be golden. And what he said is, we'll be set for the rest of our life. Yeah, we'll be set for the rest of our lives. So then now it's five years later, and he is married to someone else. And he destroyed his life, right, his relationship, and didn't... The business didn't survive. Didn't survive. And the marriage didn't survive. So those that's tragic. So there are people who just go after provision, right? I can just grind away. I can get this stuff done. And it's just not sustainable. So this marriage, if you will, of passion and provision, of realizing that like there is life and we need to live our lives and and we need to not have work destroy our lives, mm. right? We need work to be something that is part of our contribution and allows us to give the best that we have to give to the world, but also does it in a way that isn't just so money hungry that we destroy everything in the path to get there. Mm-hmm. Which doesn't mean you can't have big financial goals. Not at all. Which doesn't mean you can't grow fast. Whoa. Yeah. <laughs> Whether you want to or not. <laughs> sometimes you want to grow less than fast. It's just better. And strangely enough, in two companies, we've experienced hyper growth which is something that a lot of companies wish they had that problem. <laughs> and then and then you think through this and 
part of it's just setting expectations and pacing yourself. You can go fast, but you have to pace yourself and figure out what is fast and what's too fast. One of the grandfathers of venture capitalism, he wrote a book a few years ago and he lives in California out here. And he was also being interviewed in the San Francisco Chronicle. And it was so interesting because he said he wrote his book for all of these venture capitalists, these young venture capitalists, because they all said there was a thing that was going on out here for a very long time. I don't hear it as much, but I'm sure it's still going on that if I'm going to invest in your company, I want to see a 10 X return on investment. I want my money returned in three to five years. That was what happened for a long time out here. Mm. And Silicon Valley was famous for it. And so people were pitching their ideas and then getting money and all this kind of stuff. And he said, by the way, this guy invested in Google. He invested in Yahoo in the early days Mm. when, you know, those guys were still in college and different things like that. So the guy's quite wealthy, but he said, what it takes is your ability to have successful companies that you're going to invest in is much smaller than most people think. You have to go through a lot more people to find those companies. And then everybody wants their money back in three to five years. It's really going to take you 10 years. Mm -hmm. And as much as you want to tell everybody it has to go faster, if you want your money back and you want to make that profit, you're going to have to have a much larger horizon. And Mm -hmm. so a lot of times expectations in companies of what can I expect out of my company? What should I expect? What should I expect out of myself? When those expectations are out of whack, they create a company that, is more susceptible to the business failure rate or that disengagement rate and being miserable. And so how do you set those balances? How do you set those temperaments so that your provision allows you to make the long way and setting your expectations wrong? If your plan is off and you think I should be able to get to port, you know, I don't need to go to port B. I can go to port C. We should be able to get there in time. Everybody goes no. And, and they have a leadership mentality that just says, if you tell people enough that they should, They'll figure it out. They'll get it there. And then when they don't, you yell at them. And and that's just improper expectations. Well, and entrepreneurs Mm. are notoriously optimistic, right? We are. I mean, just notoriously. So it's the, you know, I I mean, we've had people more than than once over the course of almost 18 years of running a marketing company. People will walk in and be like, I've got this product and I need you to market it. And I need like $50,000 worth of marketing, but I only have 10. But mm. if you do this, then we can profit share. And in six months, this I'll be able to pay you the rest and blah, 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 blah. And we're just like... <laughs> um, You've never heard that, have you? Um, <laughs> you know, I... Mm, yeah. So setting expectations, that idea that, you know, this idea is going to take off. It's kind of like the person who's trying always to create the viral video. <laughs> like, oh, <yeah>. seriously, <laughs> how, few, how few videos actually go viral? And most Mm -hmm. of them were not on purpose. So it's an interesting mentality that happens within entrepreneurs because they get super like, oh, I've got the best idea ever and it's going to just blow the doors off the world and everybody will want it. But they can't afford to get the word out there. They can't grow as quickly as they want to. And even if it's a brilliant idea, it's probably going to take longer and cost more than they think. Mm. So how how do we set expectations? Yeah. I'm hearing two really big factors is one, transparency. Mm. transparency like with yourself just being willing to look at the truth yeah and being willing to share it with people who are stakeholders but then also the idea of setting expectations that are realistic 
Yeah, that's extremely observant of you. What else do you need to do to be able, I mean, is there a number of like, here's how much to set back for the future if you want this kind of growth? How does that work? It depends on what market you're in, obviously, with industry. It also depends on what phase you're in in your company Mm. and what's happening. I tend to subscribe at this point in life, 18 years into this first, this company that we have. I like the idea of people, especially if they're starting a company, that they don't give up their day job until they either have enough investment money or the company's making enough. And really, it's even smarter if you can be patient to wait till the company's making enough to support you Mm. and then walk away as opposed to going, I was able to borrow enough money to pay myself for 18 months. And then, and and hopefully- No pressure. Yeah, right? No pressure at all. (laughs) And so- Doing that is one thing. If you've already got employees and you're growing and you're saying, I want to grow to the next level, mm-hmm. there are the way we talk about it in the book, there's a couple of things you want to do to make sure you're getting both passion and provision. Staying with provision for the moment is you need to have a clear vision of where you're going. So the very first thing we talk about in the section after we talk about what passion provision is, is we talk about a holistic strategy. And then we talk about having a clear and complete and compelling vision. We believe there's four parts to a clear vision and you need to make sure that it's enough that you know where you're going. And then what tags with that is a strategic plan. So you have a vision and a strategic plan and they work together and strategic plan is more short term and a vision. It has your why it has your core values and it has basically like a North star, if you will, something way off on the horizon. That's where you're going clear, defined, it's why it's going to make a difference when you get there, when you cross that finish line. If think mm-hmm. about it in a marathon, we talk about that a little bit in the book. A marathon's a really long race. It takes a long time to train for it. And then some marathons like the Boston Marathon, you actually have to run another marathon to qualify and to get into the Boston Marathon. And then when you're sitting there running 26 Six miles, point, 26.2, you, right. you end up sure, somewhere close I'll to I'll never there. do it. Don't know. Oh, yeah. I'll never know. <laughs> Not going to happen. Short legs. It's a long race and it takes a lot of endurance. What takes three or four hours for some people and some people a little less. If you're sitting on the sidelines, having a cup of coffee, a beer, hanging out with your friends, those two or three hours go by really quick. Those four hours go by quick. If you're running the race, I used to run shorter races when I was younger. Those races take a lot longer when you're the one racing them. Mm -hmm. Well, you're thinking about this duration and where am I going? And when I cross that finish line, what's it going to be like? You have to have a motivation to get there, to put up with all that training, to put up with all the qualifying, to put up with the race itself. So in your mind, you think, I want to cross the finish line. This is what it's going to be like when I cross the finish line. This is why I'm doing it. It's going to be so amazing. People are going to cheer. I'm going to feel like I accomplished something amazing. And over time, maybe it's just, I beat my time. That was enough. That's a vision. It's really clear. It's complete. These are the rules. This is how I'm going to behave. Then you need a business model. And we tuck in vision into the business model, but we created a business model that's in the book and it has five additional points beyond vision. And it covers leadership, management, and operations. It covers marketing and sales. It covers finance or money and culture. And when you're talking about those things, it's like our model is not the only model. There's lots mm-hmm. of great models out there, but you need to have a business model if you're going to do this. 
And there are fundamentals or benchmarks in each one of those categories that you need to learn and build your minimum competencies to and understand. And when it comes to money, you want to come into the finance that money category and you go, there's some basic principles that are true for most businesses. So this is how we're backing into all that. (laughs) For instance, it's recommended if you're going to be in the total, total safe zone, we don't always live there. Full disclosure. (laughs) I'm going to gasp and just like fall over at the minute. I'm sure there's a lot of people nodding their heads along. (laughs) Right. But, (laughs) and you're like, wouldn't it be nice? But, but we have a financial team. We have an outsourced CFO, the two of us, Catherine does all the accounting, our CPA, we have all that kind of stuff. And so when you're putting everybody together, you're like, okay, what would be ideal? And then let's see if someday we can get there. First of all, ideal is to have three to six months. But realistically, if you could have three months of costs for expenses, I was talking to one of our friends the other day, a client of ours, they have a payroll of $250,000. So every two weeks, their payroll is 250 grand. He said right now in the middle of the coronavirus, if they had to stop doing stuff, they couldn't work, but they have two and a half months and they're out of cash. That's what they have saved up to pay for their basic expenses and all their payroll. He, he doesn't have a full three months, but he at least has two and a half months. There's a margin. There's a lot of companies right now in the coronavirus situation. They have no money. They can't even cover the next payroll mm-hmm. if something goes sideways. They don't even have a line of credit to get to. They don't have cash in the bank to get to. They have nothing. So that's one thing. Another thing is, is your payroll, a benchmark, is on average in most industries, Payroll should be 30% of your gross revenue. So if you make you know $100,000 a year, your payroll is $30,000 a year. Can you survive on that? No. But a lot of people don't understand that. They don't think about it. They think, well, I make $100,000 a year or so. Some industries, the margins are higher. If you're selling intellectual property, the margins are really high. You don't have yeah. to have a lot of expenses. You don't have inventory. Mm-hmm. Or consulting services, that kind of thing. But That's if you're higher. selling products like... One of our clients sells almond butter. They're famous for almond butter around the country. They're in over five or 600 grocery stores around the country. Mm. We grow a lot of almonds here and we call them almonds in Northern California. (laughs) Or we sell hay in our other company and we put hay in boxes and sell it to people who have pet rabbits. You have to pay for all that and all that stuff. So the margin is not high like consulting. The margin is in a manufacturing. So if you say, okay, well, I need to understand Maybe if I have three months or two months or even a month of extra money to for to pay payroll, if something goes wrong, if I lose a big client, I don't have to just lay off people. The other thing is 30% of what I pay out to everybody should be, it should be 30% of our gross revenue. Now there are other numbers like that. Do our business, do the people who own businesses right now, many of them do who listen to this podcast. Many of the folks that are, are part of the DM community are really sharp people. Mm-hmm. But there's still a lot of people who want to grow their business or they're young in business. And these are the types of things you need to learn. This is why when we talk in the book, get a team around you. There are outsourced CFOs that you can hire for a couple of hours a month. Or when we started doing it, it was like four or five hours a quarter. Yeah. You know? Well, and what's interesting about it is that sometimes even even super, super smart people in business, they believe that they've counted the cost, they have good expectations, but they've never gotten an outside perspective. And it's amazing what bringing in an outside perspective can do for you. Like one of the things that happened for us when we first started working with our outsourced CFO is he said, 
I can tell the personality of a company by looking at the balance sheet and the income statement. Whoa. I can tell you the story of that company. We We were were like, what? What is this magic? What is is this voodoo? (laughs) What is this voodoo you are doing? But, But they're so attuned to looking at all of the ratios and all of the different pieces and parts. So we bring him in and he's teaching us like, okay, what about, why aren't you pushing on this lever in your business, right? So why are you investing so much in this area where you only have like 15% margin when you have this other area that's got 60% margin? Wow. Push, push there, right? So so that outside perspective can bring so much. And we do that for our clients and then our CFO does it for us. I mean, we had a client that came in and they literally were like, we need you to build a business plan around this one part of our business. And it turned out after we made them sort of graph everything out that they wanted us to build and put all of this money and effort and marketing towards something that essentially comprised about 5% of their gross revenue. And they were ignoring the thing that was 80% of their gross revenue because they thought they had that nailed. This is an $8 million a year company. They're like, we don't need that. And they're like, oh my gosh, just helping them map it out. So outside perspective in finance is a really important thing. I mean, it is the one area of the book where it's like, I I, I think we said it about five times in the, the money chapter, build a team, have a team. Don't think that you can do this part by yourself. There's too many things that you're not going to see all on your own. And we say it many times because that was our weakest link. Mm-hmm. Uh, by far, our weakest mm-hmm. link was in the finance. Well, And, and part, still is to this yes, day, I think. Absolutely still is. I mean, because and part of that, Jenna, is because people have an emotional relationship to money, right? Because we all have baggage. And, and money, money is one of those areas that we can feel super confident in. We can feel super insecure in. You know, you come into a marriage and you've got <laughs> completely different perspectives so my husband is the risk taker. He's the one who's like, let's just invest and invest and invest. And I'm like, he can see the future of the investment yielding something. And all I can see is the money going out of the bank account, right? And so even just coming to terms, you know, within within your partnership, not necessarily because you're married to your business partner. I know that is a weird arrangement. But, but even a business partnership. But even a business partnership, right? Oh. People bring, um, they bring baggage into the money thing. And so if you are scared of money, that's going to impact how you move forward. If you're too big of a risk taker and you're not being wise with money, that is also going to impact you. So having that outside perspective is a really, really helpful. And and then even just being willing to have conversations around money, I think is a really big deal for, especially for business partners. You know, it's just really important because <laughs> it's, a, it's a tough area for people. How... Are you investing into hiring when you also have to run a business, right? I mean, that's, I feel like that's the tricky part. You know, you have to hire in order to grow, Mm -hmm. but in order to grow, uh, you need the money. Mm. It's real. Yeah. How does, how does that work? Okay. There's a lot of people who have really quick, easy answers to all these things. And and uh, every marketer that I've met has easy answers when they're selling their course. I want to say this. I'm going to say you need to learn the fundamentals. And if you've got a basic competency level on the fundamentals, you need to learn a minimum competency in all these fundamentals. But beyond that, this is why you get paid the big bucks to be the leader. Because it's not easy. 
-hmm. It's a movement. It's a a dance and there's gives and takes. And so Mm -hmm. I think some people assume that it's going to be just really easy and there's a real easy black and and white answer. Yeah, like some formula. Do this. And there are things that are smart to do. Like if you're watching, I mean, let's look at numbers for a moment. If you're watching your people and they're really, really busy, it's really good to map out how efficient are they? How effective are they? So you want kind of a, like, here's a, a rule of thumb to start with. If they're 60% billable, so 60% of the time that your people are spending is making you money, then they're probably a good, I hate to use the term resource, but I don't have a better term. They're a good asset. Asset, And even that seems impersonal, doesn't it? <laughs> it does. Um, Employee. And what they're doing is, okay, then if you keep putting stuff on their plate, you're going to need somebody else because you're going to burn them out. They're not going to be able to handle it. But it's funny. Sometimes we think we're really busy and everybody's only about 40% productive or 30% productive, but they're they're Mm -hmm. slammed. They're busy. And part of that comes with management of organizing, of structure, the way you think and lead. So making sure that if you look at those numbers, those are indicators that can tell you, oh, are we really busy and we can afford to bring somebody else on and we can start to move that because as soon as you bring somebody else on, they're going to have the opportunity to make you more money, another employee, but it's going to take time to ramp them up. So mm-hmm. how do you balance that out? Having those teams where you look at these benchmarks and you look at these things and you go, what should they be before I start thinking? Where's the threshold? Where's the productivity level? Where's my ratio? If I'm making, remember we said 30% of your revenue, your gross revenue should go to employees. Well, whatever that number Mm -hmm. is in your company, let's continue to use 30%. If my revenue is a million, but it's costing me $600,000 in payroll, there's a good chance that my efficiencies aren't really good. And if I'm thinking, well, if I just bring on another person, I can go from a million to a million one or a million two. And the reality is your whole system is inefficient, but unless you know where to look, you don't know if it's working as hard as it can, or if it's working really hard, but not being very effective. And Mm -hmm. there's an elegance to efficiency and effectiveness that when they come together. And so then you look and you go, okay, now once you answer all those questions, there's a part of it where you're just taking risks. Yeah. And being an entrepreneur, you have to take risks. You do. And part of it is, you know, when you're, especially when you're first starting a business and you're doing it all on your own, you know, you can only do it on your own to some degree before you start running out of time and you start limiting your opportunities because you're doing so many things that somebody else could be doing that means you you can't actually chase another client. You can't actually bring in any more business because you're you're too busy running everything, right? So there is that mm-hmm. moment where you have to just go, you know what? I don't know how to afford this and I'm going to have to trust a little bit. Um, and, and you just have to take a step because otherwise you limit your opportunities. Because if, if I have to do everything all the time, I'm never going to grow the business. So there there is some risk. Really- yeah, and, and it's... Yeah. if somebody has a company and they're listening right now, they understand it's not always simple and easy. And what gets caught is this difference between uh, the tension between there should be an answer, an easy answer. And see, you know, I, Michael, you just said that there was no answer and there really isn't an answer. And I just have to make it up as I go along. (laughs) And really it's not, there are signposts. 
the road is wide and you can make a lot of decisions. But but when you're off in the weeds and off the road, it, life is a lot bumpier in the car. Stay on the road mm-hmm. and then follow the road signs and, and those numbers and perspectives and everything else. And when we talk about marketing, you know, there are things, especially in the DM community, which is very, you know, we're, you guys are marketing trainers. You're educating on marketing. And then ancillary things that come around the marketing issue of growing a business. Well, there's baselines. If you don't use a, a value journey, um, a value journey makes your life a lot more effective and easy because you have this place where it's like, I have signposts. Are they in my awareness stage? Are they in my engaged stage? Are they in my subscription stage? Before I had that, before those things were out there, yeah, we were talking about it, but it was kind of like everything was in one bucket and how do you assess it? So having that model, just like a value journey or the buyer's journey is the same thing. We talk about the buyer's journey in the book and we talk about uh, a whole lot of other things in these different places and finance has those. And so learning to not be afraid of your finances, like you said earlier, being introspective and being and owning where you are with money. Because as Catherine was saying earlier, an entrepreneur, entrepreneurs are more often than not high risk people. Now, not all of them are. And I think there's a really good book out there written about the myth that all entrepreneurs are risk oriented and you have to be risk oriented to be a good entrepreneur. There's a book called Reluctant Entrepreneur. And he talks about that. It's a great book. And matter of fact, he frowns on this idea of being overly crazy and stuff like that. But what happens so often in that is, yes, I don't mind taking risks. Yes, I can imagine profit and I can imagine those things. But the other thing that happened in our relationship and in our company was I had great faith and hope for what could be. I had been taught lousy money skills growing up. My father was an entrepreneur who did not have good money skills, strangely enough. And we just, so I never learned these lessons. So I had, I was imbalanced. I had the potential to see the ability to see potential in something profit wise. I had the lack of ability to understand how you manage and control everything. And it's like a little kid Mm -hmm. learning to ride a bike when that front wheel's moving all over the place and they're wobbling Mm -hmm. and there's a good chance that they're going to just fall over because you Mm -hmm. don't even realize that's what you're just doing the best you can to keep balanced. And all of a sudden, boom. And uh, we do that so often in business. We don't even realize that's what we're doing. We just think that that wobbly, that stress, that trying to balance all the plates and keep them spinning is normal because we've never been taught anything else. Before I ask the final question of both of you, I'd love to hear one more time the title of your book, where people can find yeah. it and where people can find out more Thanks about Thanks for it. asking. So, <laughs> so Fulfilled <laughs> is the title of the book. The subtitle is The Passion and Provision Strategy for Building a Business with Profit, Purpose, and Legacy. And it is available on Amazon in you know, we've got every type of version, whether you want Audible or you want uh, hardback, softback, Kindle, Kindle. we got them all. Um, and then <laughs> the other thing is you can also go direct to fulfilledthebook.com and then you can purchase there. So those are the two, the book those are the two places. Mm-hmm. And if you don't know how to spell well, it's F-U-L-F-I-L-L-E-D because I misspell the name of our book all the time. <laughs> oh, well. My final question is, if you could go back in time and tell yourself, the person who you were when you started this journey, the very beginning, what would you tell yourself and why? 
this is not meant to sound coy or markety. <laughs> but it might. <laughs> but this book is what I wanted to know when we started out. And I didn't, I like, I wanted a, a plan or something like this that would help a guy who didn't have a business degree, who didn't have all the answers and had, didn't have a mentor. And so I would say, get yourself a really good mo business model, find yourself a mentor that understands business and growing and somebody who will believe in you when it's hard to believe in yourself and you'll be okay. Hmm. I love that. I think I would tell myself, be brave. Mm. The road is not going to be simple, but it's going to be worth it. Um, you don't know what you don't know, and that's okay. Be brave. Yeah. You'll be all right. <laughs> cool. Well, it's just been absolutely lovely to get to know you guys over the past, you know, couple of hours and the past being last week's <laughs> hour <laughs> and then this week's hour. The feeling is mutual. It's so absolutely. nice to finally get a chance to talk to you and get to know you. I wish yeah. we could stand up and hug now. <laughs> oh, I know, right? <laughs> well, bye-bye. Uh, yeah, uh, quarantine. <laughs> the, the, zoom, the Zoom elbow bump. <laughs> well, yeah, to everyone listening today, as always, thank you so much. It means a lot to have a little bit of your day each week, and we'll see you same time, same place next week. Bye. Thank you. Thank you. Hey, DM listeners, if you're running a Black Friday or Cyber Monday special, listen up, because Digital Marketer just released our Canva holiday promo pack. It includes almost 200 templates that you can use to make the graphics for all your upcoming holiday specials and three unique design themes for each holiday. The promo pack is usually $27, but you can get it today for free. Check the show notes for the link to download, or you can go directly to digitalmarketer.com forward slash LP forward slash holiday templates. That's digitalmarketer.com forward slash LP forward slash holiday templates.